Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Randy Langenderfer. Randy started his real estate investing journey with the purchase of his first primary residence and has since invested in several assets as a limited partner. Today, he's a principal at InvestArc Properties, where they have invested in over 4,000 units across Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio, and Louisiana. He's passionate about helping others achieve their goals in real estate and has been a part of several educational programs and is currently a coach in Rod Cleef's organization. So welcome to the show, Randy. How are you doing? I'm well, Eileen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. As we were talking a little bit earlier before the show, you know, with the snow and being in Houston, hopefully the weather turns up and gets a little bit better for you guys. Yes, Houston-based, and we are looking forward as this is being recorded at uh the cold spell just hits all of Texas and Houston, especially. So we're looking forward to warmer days. So Randy, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and if you can share, you know, how you got started in real estate. Thanks. I'd love to. I have been in multifamily for about six and a half, seven years now. My start really came from probably 10 years ago when after about, yeah, just about 2010, when I realized my W-2 job was not going to last forever and started thinking about not wanting to lose my standard of living, that becomes a great motivator for people to find alternative sources of income. And so like a lot of people, I uh, started out in the single family space. I had a brother-in-law who was had gone to uh, Armando Montalegro's flipping houses school out in California. And I was living in Ohio at the time and he came back and got me, tried to get me in started. And I, I said, you're absolutely crazy to lend people money that you never met to buy and rehab a house. But after a period of time, he uh, got me comfortable with it. And we ended up being hard money lenders, as I said, to a group out of South Florida, Dade County area, flipped probably 20 or 30 houses and were pretty successful at it. I moved to Houston, Texas for business purposes. I was in, as I mentioned, private equity and role in that job was kind of come to an end. And so I didn't want to really stop yet. And so I came to Houston, Texas for a job. And that's where I, I went to a lifestyles conference and uh, here in Houston, which is a big uh, educator in the Houston area. And I plugged into their group for a while. And then I met and heard about the Brad Sumrock group out of Dallas, Texas. And I was a part of that organization for a couple of years and learned underwriting and learned the process and have recently joined the Rod last year and a half, two years, been in a Rod Khalif's a group, as you mentioned in the intro, and I'm a coach there. And Eileen, I really enjoy the coaching aspect and giving back to, to people and kind of why I'm on the podcast as well, just to meet new people and people in the same space. So that's my journey. I got started in uh, multifamily. Like a lot of people, I didn't want to, I didn't have the time to be a sponsor. So I started to invest passively with other sponsors or general partners and trying to learn some of the ropes. And Learned different, saw different styles. And then as I gained confidence, I did become a general partner. As you mentioned in the intro, I'm a general partner or a sponsor in about 250 doors and almost 4,000 as a limited partner or passive investor. And so I will continue to invest in multifamily for as long as I have the wherewithal. 
I really like you know the principles of multifamily investing and the cash on cash returns and the equity uh, returns. And I would invest both in a self-directed IRA and in my own funds when I'm a sponsor. So that's the three-minute intro version of my journey. Thank you, Randy. So you talked a little bit about why you like multifamily. So do you think with the current environment that we're in, that you think multifamily is still going to be a great place to invest? I do. I have a substantial portion of my net worth in real estate. I've got probably 40 to 45% of what everything I have in my life in multifamily assets around various those states you mentioned, about 12 different LPs and two different GPs. I like it for the fundamentals. If Even if you talk to financial counselors, they're all approaching things that are attached to hard assets versus versus uh, stocks and bonds and other uh, instruments that are going to fluctuate more wildly. And even if we have a big downturn, as some may anticipate, hard assets are going to be less affected than I think some of those paper assets, such as stocks and bonds and equities. As long as it's cash flowing, as long as the property is cash flowing, you can just refinance it and just continue on. So I do like this space and I encourage others to understand it. And if you talk to a financial counselor, many of them today are pushing that hard asset concept. And, you know, for investing in in real estate, you know, like you mentioned, there's two different options. You can either be on the active side or you can be on the passive side. And which is kind of from, you know, if you're looking at which option you want to go to as an investor, you know, what types of people would be great for passive investing and what kinds would be good for like the active side? That's a great question. I mean, I think the passive side is for anybody. We're going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts of uh, passive investing, but I think the passive side is for anybody that wants an above, I call it above average return, high single digits, eight, nine percent cash on cash returns, and a total return over a five year hold, five to seven year hold of anywhere from 75 to 85 percent up total return, I think is still very good. The stock market has been very good in 2020. But I haven't looked at the 10-year average, but I'm still going to be hard-pressed to believe that the market returned those kinds of returns over the long run. Active investing, it just requires a lot more time. So it's a lot more analysis. It's a lot more work. It requires capital. It requires a team that many people want to do and some simply don't have the time to do. So that would be, I think uh, there's something for everybody. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And so you yourself are primarily investing, you know, you like you said, you have both active and passive side. And today we're going to focus a little bit more on the passive investing side of things. So I'd like to get into a little bit more of, you know, what are some of the do's and don'ts of passive investing, you know, from your experience that you've seen? I think it's really good. So I have off the top of my head, I have five do's and four don'ts for passive investing. You know, and the first one I would say, and you could lump a lot of things underneath these, but the first one I say, the first do of passing investing is educate yourself. So if you don't want to educate yourself, go out and put some money in a REIT mutual fund and you'll probably get a pretty decent return there, but I don't think you'll do as well as you would in a private placement memorandum. So we all have most likely invested a lot of money in ourselves in college education or even vocational school or something like that. So it always kind of amazes me when I talk to people that don't want to invest some time and money and energy in their real estate career development when they invested lots of money without any return in their personal educations. So that's my first do is invest in yourself, educate yourself. And there's many venues to plug into that. Yours is a great podcast. There's a lot of educational entities out there. I mentioned lifestyles and some of the ones I'm in. 
think multifamily and Joe Fairless and just Michael Blanc. And there's countless opportunities out there for people to plug into. Yeah. And I would echo the education piece of it. You know, it's kind of like a mindset shift as you get into it, because like you said, you know, you spend so much money on your college education, but when you start thinking about spending it on, you know, real estate and educating yourself in the space, sometimes, you know, people kind of question like, oh, it's a lot of money to get into that. And, but then you don't realize the value that you'll get out of it by investing, you know, more education and learning in the real estate space and just growing yourself. I'm a finance and accounting guy at heart and finance accounting guys, I'm an MBA and a CPA. And so finance and accounting guys are pretty risk adverse to begin with. And so I was one of those guys who wasn't going to invest in the money to join one of these national groups. And so what I did is I went to those groups and I just networked very aggressively. And so even if you don't want to spend the money, go to one of those groups, network with people, find some sponsors, invest passively with them, and you'll get a heck of an education just following the monthly letters, asking questions. And there's a lot to do there that you can do free of charge. Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of things. So education is the first one. And then the next one. And the second one I have is kind of first educate yourself too. I, I say develop your strategy. So again, what do you want out of this is the first question. When I talk to students, I ask them, what do you want out of this? Are you doing, as you mentioned, to become a sponsor or a general partner? You just want to educate yourself and step up. Are you wanting just for passive income flow? There's a lot of people that are in the retirement age that are just, you know, I have one high net worth individual. He said, Randy, I don't necessarily, he's made his fortune. He said, I don't care about 80, 90% equity return over five years. I just want to see a minimum of 7% cash on cash a year. And so everybody's got a different, what they're doing in this. Why are you investing? So first, what do you want out of it? Why are you investing? Again, is it to grow your net worth? Is it, uh, everybody's got a different why. Unfortunately, I see a lot of people getting into the space because they think they're going to get rich overnight. And though some people do get rich in a short period of time, I think the majority of people have a long, uh, longer upward sloping curve to success. It is attainable. It is doable, but it's not overnight. So what do you want? Why are you investing? How are you going to invest? So are you going to invest using your own funds? Are you going to form an LLC? Are you going to form a partnership with a couple of people? Are you going to open up a self-directed SDIRA, a self-directed IRA, and invest through that? Those are all options, but develop your strategy. You know, are you looking at a geographic region? A lot of people are floating to Dallas. I mean, to Texas, specifically Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio. Develop a geographic area that you're concentrating, the, the Southeast, the Carolinas, the Southwest, Phoenix, or other very hot markets. What size properties are you looking at? You only want to invest to somebody over 100 doors. Uh, maybe you'll go down and do a 40-unit property if you know the person. How much capital do you have to invest? What really other question I put here is what time do you have available to dedicate to this? So as a passive investor, I'm going to encourage you to have be an active passive investor. That's one who asks questions and studies it. To me, investing is understanding the model and the educated risk along with it and going forward. That's investing. Speculation is when you're just saying, I trust Susie or Bill and I'm throwing money at them and they're going out and finding the property. To me, that's speculation. And there's a difference between speculation and investors. So that investor mentality comes with your education and developing your own strategy. Because once you have that strategy, if somebody presents you a deal and I'll say, Phoenix, that's only paying 3%, you say, thank you, but no thank you. 
or maybe ask some more questions. But it's the other piece of what I call Eileen is the shiny object syndrome. So as investors, we're all attracted to the latest deal that returns 20% IRR or 25% IRR and you know 10% cash on cash. But those, as we know, are pro formas. And so they're really just a vision. <laughs> they don't mean that that's going to happen every time. And, you know, bad things can happen in this space, those not as often. But so first one, educate yourself. Second one is develop your own strategy, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And, you know, what you mentioned earlier about being able to ask the questions to the sponsor, you know, like, for example, if you were to invest in a stock, you don't get access to the CEO of a stock company that you've invested in. And so you don't know what's going on within the company directly. Right. But then when you're investing in a multifamily, you have direct access to the person who's deploying the capital, who's implementing the business plan. And so to have that access there, I think it's totally invaluable. And the education, like you mentioned, is just, you're just going to learn so much. How many mutual funds are you in where you can call the lead partner up and talk to them directly? I have the cell phone numbers and I know the home addresses of each of the sponsors that I've invested with. I know where they live, no kidding aside. And, you know, as an investor, they're polite, but when I call, they'll generally take my call there. If not, they'll call me back within 24, 48 hours. And that's, you're never going to get that out of a mutual fund, right? You mean you don't have their phone numbers on your speed <laughs> dial? <laughs> oh, the guy from Fidelity just won't return my call. <laughs> but hey, the other one I wanted to add in there, you know, is on, the, on that developing your strategy. I, I forgot one piece if I can, which is really what I call to is developing your strategy. Be aware. And it's part of the educational thing. Be aware of what I call the investor friendly or the sponsor friendly model. So what do I mean by a sponsor-friendly and an investor-friendly model? So when I put on my uh, limited hat and I look at opportunities, I really look at just that. I define it as kind of a sponsor-friendly. Are those deals that are heavy with, with fees and returns skewed with waterfalls on the back end, et cetera? High acquisition fees, asset management fees, some have liquidation fees, restructuring fees, and you as an investor and part of the education, you really need to understand that. That's what I'd call a sponsorship fee. You know, some of them I've seen equity splits up to 70-30 split between LPs, GPs, 2080s. And then I've seen one as far as 50-50. And I'm thinking, what investor would do that if you get 50-50 split? But anyhow, so just be aware of those. And the investor friendly are those that are, in my mind, that are not fee oriented and have a high return. So I recently invested one. I think it's the best one I've ever seen. It's a 90-10 equity split. 90, so the LP gets 90% of the proceeds and the general partner gets 10%. And they have a 9% preferred distribution. I've never seen one. That, that to me is extremely investor friendly. They did charge an acquisition fee. And acquisition fees and liquidation fees and waterfalls aren't bad. That's not to say that any deal that has those aren't bad. That's just to say that you as an investor need to understand those. And I, when I invest in those kinds of, I want the sponsors to be successful and be compensated because otherwise they lose their incentive. But I think you really need to understand that as part of your strategy and who you're going to invest with. Oh, that's great advice. Thank you. So the next one I would say is educate yourself, develop your strategy. And the third one I'd say is know the sponsorship team. Eileen, have you ever heard the illustration of the horse and the jockey illustration? I don't think so. (laughs) 
So this is somebody, uh, a mentor told this to me when I was first getting started, the, the horse and the jockey. So in a horse race, there's two big elements, right? It's the horse and the jockey. And so which one's more important? Well, and so if you draw that illustration to multifamily, the jockey is the sponsorship team and the horse is the submarket of where the asset is located. So as an investor, know the sponsorship team, be aware and which is more important. And I would always, this is my speaking, someone can disagree with me and that's fine, but I would always say that the sponsorship team is more important than submarket of where the asset is located. I'll take a, no disrespect, I'll take a great sponsor that's buying an asset in where I came from, Cleveland, Ohio, which nobody likes, versus an average sponsor that's buying something in Phoenix. Because the horse and the jockey syndrome, the jockey is what makes the difference of the sponsorship team. So know your sponsor. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. How do you differentiate a great sponsor in comparison to an average sponsor? That's a great question. And, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions because it's been around for a while and you get on these lists. I bet I get, you know, I get multiple options a week to invest in different properties and I invest in very few unless I know the people. And so if I like the property, I would first call them. I'd make an appointment. I mean, if they're doing a, a 506B regulation, they're supposed to have a pre-existing relationship. So you should make an appointment. If they don't talk to you, if they haven't got the time to talk to you, that's a big indication. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they're probably dealing with people that got millions of dollars and can throw fifty dollars or $100,000 around. So first, get to know them. Try to judge their moral character. You know, people invest with those they know, like, and trust. So get to know them. Even if you don't invest in the current property, tell them you want to be on their list, but you want to get to know them and understand their what's their business model. What is their objectives? Is that, Are they a first-time sponsor? Or they've done this 20 times. How many times have they gone full cycle? Have they bought and sold multiple properties? Or I've bought three and I've never sold anything. And so you don't really know what the full cycle is. What's their distribution track record? So how frequently do they pay distributions? Their pro forma said they were going to pay them every quarter. But gee, in COVID, there's a lot of sponsors that missed a lot of them. There's a lot of them that continued to pay. So those ones that continue to pay, in my mind, get a big gold star for the future. They made it happen somehow. What's the sponsorship's total return record? Again, assuming they went, do each of the sponsors have skin in the game? Make sure they have skin in the game. And not just uh, many of the sponsors today, you'll see charge an acquisition fee and they're just rolling that acquisition fee into the deal. Many of them won't have any money other than an acquisition, but ask the question, how much out of pocket beyond the acquisition fee do you have in the deal? Uh, that to me is a big one. Now, 
I have invested with a couple of people that have done this. You know, they've got 10,000 units, so they're not putting skin in the game today, but they've got a track record and I've got a relationship with them that offsets that, but just stuff to, a lot of these deals today, you'll see them, they have three, four, five, six sponsors. So what's the differentiation between sponsors? What are their different roles? Are they just got somebody on there to raise money so they can get the deal closed and you're never going to hear from him or her again? And ask them to see examples of their communication strategies. What have they done in other properties? How often do they communicate? What do they communicate? What do they communicate during COVID and after? So, you know, and number three is know your sponsorship team. Yeah, it's very important to know the sponsorship team. And like, I love the analogy that you put with the jockey and the horse, because if you have a great horse, but you don't have a great jockey to lead the horse, you know, things can go awry pretty quickly. Yeah, I've seen some really good sponsors make average deals look like roses. And I've been in another deal that was a, a great sponsor, or at least I thought he was a great sponsor. And it was a turned out to be not such a good sponsor. And it was a good deal, but it wasn't a good deal. Time showed it wasn't a good deal. And so back to, I didn't do my due diligence enough. Would you have any advice to those if they're looking at sponsors who might not have gone full cycle in a deal? Is that something that would you would recommend not investing with? No. And I say, you know, the people pick on those that if it's their first time sponsorship, that's the other one. So they haven't gone full cycle or this is, hey, this is the first time I'm sponsor. That would not deter me, but I just want to ask a lot more questions. And back to that, know, like, and trust. I'm not going to invest with somebody I don't know, like, and trust. So build that relationship. I live in Houston. I flew to Louisiana to see a property uh, before I ever invested in it passively, just because I wanted to see the asset. And even though I knew the sponsors, so my rule of thumb is just get to know them and what's the team. So in most of these situations, there may be a first time sponsor, but they've partnered with somebody that's done three or four or two of these things that helps mitigate your risk a lot. What educational group are they a part of? So where did they get their education from? I've mentioned several there to you. Each of them have a little bit different flavor in their development of pro formas and business models from Lifestyles to Khalif to Sumrock to Kenny, Mark Kenny and Think Multifamily and Michael Blanc and Joe Fairless. I mean, they're all great. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying be aware to an investor of where the sponsor was educated at. Yeah, no, that's great. And then something you mentioned also is, you know, really understand the sponsorship team, like who's actually doing what and the roles and responsibilities that they're all, you know, how they've all divided the roles and responsibilities and who's going to be the point of communication and then who's going to be managing what part of the assets. I was looking at one just uh, over the weekend, six different sponsors. It's actually, a, it's a very big buy. It was a $30 million property or $35 million property six different people. So I was asking questions about how many of these have you done together? It's the first time the six have worked together, but three of them have worked together before. And understanding the one guy they were bringing in from California because he had a lot of people with 1031 money. That's fine. But as an active, passive investor, you want to know those things rather than being surprised. Yeah, really, you have to kind of be like a detective and try to understand the full entire story. Yeah, and that's a very good illustration, too. It's a little bit of Columbo that you have to ask those questions. So one is educate yourself. Two is develop your strategy. Three is know the sponsorship team. And the fourth one is learn the basics of underwriting, I'd say, Eileen. So anybody that has, whether you're on your home budget or work, anybody that's developed a spreadsheet knows small calculations can make a big difference. 
in the outcome. Even though you want to be a passive investor, you need to understand, again, this goes back to where they were trained at. What organization did they come from? You know, I have been doing this in Sunus for six, seven years. I have never heard a sponsor say, we underwrite very aggressively. Because you will never hear that. They all say we underwrite very conservatively. And they're not lying, but the assumptions they're making have a big difference in the outcome. So, you know, one man's conservative is another man's aggressive. I don't think they're lying. But, you know, as an investor, you want to understand what's the purchase price to do or what kind of what kind of financing are they obtaining? Is it bridge financing? Is it agency financing? Is it bank financing? What's the buying cap rate? That's a subject for another whole webinar. I mean, should say podcast if you want to go into that. But what's the buying cap rate? What's the exiting or the reversion cap rate? What's the rent growth and expense growth assumptions? How are they modeling a refinance if there is one in there for the investor returns? How are they modeling taxes and insurance? Those are expenses that operators have very little control of, but in Texas are skyrocketing as well. So who's the property manager? Has this group ever worked, the sponsorship ever worked with this property manager? Is the property manager familiar with that submarket? So, you know, if I'm working in Houston, the property manager knows a lot of the different submarkets and probably have been there before. But if I'm going to Alabama to invest in something, who's the property manager and what's their relationship with the sponsorship? But most importantly, I think, Eileen, it's know the business plan that's in that, that underwriting. So the mechanics of the spreadsheet are one thing, but what's the real business plan? Everybody's going to want to improve NOI. So they're either going to increase rents or decrease expenses or both. And so how realistic is that plan is, I guess, the last part I would say of learn the basics of underwriting. Yeah. And especially with a multifamily, you know, there can be a lot of things that go into the overall process. But again, it goes back to having a really great sponsor who's very open and transparent and being able to communicate these things to you, you know, and very open to having an investor comment and just feel comfortable with asking all these questions and being able to provide those answers. I think it's really important. The last one I want to share with on the dues, the fifth one is familiarize yourself with the legal documents. In every uh, syndication, there is a preferred placement memorandum that spells out all these parameters and all these risks. Anybody that's intelligent after reading that preferred place memorandum will probably run and never want to invest because that's the purpose of the PPM is to point out all the risk associated with this deal. But, you know, one couple of things to look in there, I always encourage investors. First of all, what's the equity split? Is it a 70-30 model? Is there preferred distribution? Is there not a preferred distribution? Is it an 80-20? There's just many different models. It goes back to where the sponsorship group was probably trained at. That tends to have a lot of indication as to the types of model they use, but this will all be spelled out. And just because there's a, an opportunity that does or doesn't have a preferred distribution, that doesn't make it right or wrong. I've heard some people say they would never invest in an opportunity if it didn't have preferred distributions. Now, there's pros and cons to that, and that, that may be right for one investor, but not right for everybody. Read the operating agreement. That, again, that's the business document that shows how that's going to be handled and ask the questions, what, you know, what are the investor rights? So I've seen a lot of documents where the investors have no rights at all. They have no rights. It's all the sponsorship group. Others where the investors have a right to vote on a liquidation and a refinancing. 
change in managers, et cetera. So what's the investor rights? What's the equity split? What's the allocation of capital? So simply on a sale, you know, you see a lot of people that show their distributions as a return on capital and others are showing them as a return of capital. That little language, a return of capital or a return on capital, make a big difference in the total return. And so educate yourself as that. Again, going back to being active, passive investor. Oh, thank you so much, Randy. That was a very in-depth um, things that we should be doing as passive investors. And then can you also talk a little bit about, you know, what are some things that we shouldn't be doing as passive investors? I'll be much more brief on this side. Yeah, the don'ts. The don'ts for passive investors in my mind is don't invest in a multifamily if you need the money within the next five to seven years. So these are long-term illiquid investments. It is very difficult to get your money out of them if you want to sell your ownership interest. Some syndications will allow you to sell it to other partners in the group. Some won't. Again, that goes back to knowing the legal documents and what your rights are. But for the most part, you're in this deal for five to seven years until it's sold. So that's one don't. Another don't is don't invest if you don't have capital. Um, most of them take a $50,000 investment. There are some ways to get around that. But for the most part, don't think about investing unless you have $50,000 that you can tie up for five to seven years. There are ways to get around that with a self-directed IRA and other venues if you have that. But you know, if you've got a kid going to college or you've got medical bills or number two is don't do it if you don't have $50,000. Three is I put down as uh, many people get into this and the new ones and they have the, what I call the single family, you know, rental portfolio. Well, multifamily, as you know, Eileen, is based upon net operating income. It has nothing to do with the comps of the local or the apartment house next door. I can have the worst asset in the worst neighborhood, but if it's turning cash, it's worth a lot of money and doesn't have anything to do with the property next door. And the last one I say, number five under the don'ts is really, if you have that desire or that personality that wants to have your the finger on the pulse of everything, don't invest if you think you're going to have operating control because you have none as a passive investor. Those rights all remain with sponsorship group and they're the ones that are making all of the decisions. They're just going to inform you after the fact. So hopefully that was a little bit quicker than the dues. Uh, no, I think that all of them are very important things that we should be aware of. And again, it goes back to, you know, just really getting yourself educated and really understanding and knowing what you're getting yourself into before you invest in something like this. Yeah. And uh, regrettably, so many people don't. I was on a call one night for investment. I heard some person say, man, why would anybody invest in the stock market? You can't get this kind of returns. And I thought... That's true, but you also don't understand the downside risk. We as investors always tend to look at the upside risk and, you know, the glass is always half full, but that is a business and things can go wrong. You just want to minimize those risks and have strategies in place. So Randy, what is next for you? What is next for Randy? So InvestArc is, I uh, am positioning myself to continue to search as an operator for general partnership or sponsorship activities. And continue to invest my through a self-directed IRA personally on the passive side and on the active side, I, I'm looking for properties. I have built my own website and done a lot of work there to attract potential investors, building a lot of relationships with brokers in the Houston area and the Phoenix area. And so I, I guess the next step for me is to find that property that I can sponsor <laughs> and come back to you and Eileen and anybody else that may be interested. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing, Randy. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life? I 
am uh, kind of a nerd. I just really enjoy this stuff. I would rather, I'm at a season of my life where I just enjoy chasing deals and seeing the fruits of your labor. So it's changed my life by one, giving me a lot of free time in my free time, not a lot of free time. I don't have a lot, but in the free time I do have to chase opportunities. And it's, you know, my father said a long time ago, if you enjoy it, it's not work. And so for me, it's not work. It's changed my life. And in the six years, I've made some very decent money. And uh, I just continue to turn that over and turn that over. And hopefully at the end of the day, I'll have a pretty nice little net worth that I can pass on to my heirs. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Only one thing. One thing. <laughs> I go back to, I would think it's the, the first of the do's is educate yourself educate yourself. And that encompasses almost all the other four that we talked about. So if you want to be an intelligent investor versus speculating in deals, know what you're getting into and invest and educate yourself. And there's podcasts such as yours and others. When I'm in the car, I'm always listening to books on tape about real estate. I have a commute every day, like many of us, and I'm listening to real estate to just kind of continue to pound home different, different concepts. And so I think that's the major one for me. And is there one thing that sets the successful people part in the real estate investing business that you've seen? I think there's two things that, well, I know you said one thing, but I would say persistence. Persistence, back to that, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It doesn't have to be get rich, get quick scheme, but slow and steady wins the race in my mind. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there and, it's, and the economy is there's going to be more opportunities out there in 21. There's going to be a lot of deal flow because money's so cheap. There's a ton of different people out there. Contact me, contact others. If you want to be a, a passive investor and just ask a lot of questions and come alongside of them. So persistence would be my answer. And are there any tools or techniques that you've used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? I wish I could say I had a single one to give you there, but for me, I've recently been spending a lot of time building my CRM and customer relationship management tool to put all those potential investors into and you know, the mechanics of that. So I would say for me, immediately, it's a CRM, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're going to start out with a sponsor, you don't need those tools. You just need old-fashioned cell phone and email for that and just find a, a sponsor that's going to talk to you and you can build a relationship with ask questions. I'm having lunch Monday with a lady at, um, who's a very well-educated PhD, MD, and you know they've been wanting to give me money for nine months to invest. And I keep telling them I will as soon as I'm comfortable myself with putting my name on something. So build those relationships and they don't have to be one phone call. I mean, again, if a sponsor won't take your call, that's a giant red flag. And I would tell you to move on and find somebody who will. Oh, thank you so much, Randy. And I really appreciated all the valuable information you gave and the lessons that we should be following, you know, before we get into any type of investment, you know, especially the do's and the don'ts of the passive investing side of things. And so if our listeners want to find out more about you, Randy, where can they go? Thanks, Eileen. I have a website, invest, I-N-V-S-T hyphen A-R-K, invest hyphen A-R-K.com. There's a contact down there or just send there and we can arrange a time to chat. I'd love to help you. You don't have to invest. If I can build Zig Ziglar, I can help. I can get almost anything I want if I help other people get what they want. So I just want to continue to network with people and see their what they want and what they need. And 
I can turn them to other people if that's what they want. If they want to work with me, that'd be great too. Wow. Thank you so much, Randy. I really appreciate everything. And I really appreciate all the knowledge and the advice that you brought on today's episode. It's been my pleasure. I hope your audience have gotten some value out of it. Thank you so much, Randy. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.